0: Hello and welcome to the CRE with Cobalt Banker Commercial Worldwide podcast. My name is Christina Ballas, the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host. With us today is Allison Weiss. She is the founder and principal of CRE Recruiting, a boutique firm with national expertise in commercial real estate recruiting and placement and of CRE at Work, a platform that helps driven professionals build resilience, improve performance, and grow the careers and companies of their dreams. Throughout her career, Allison has successfully recruited hundreds of commercial real estate professionals, resulting in consistent multi-million dollar annual revenue growth for the companies she has supported, including Colliers International, where she served as the Director of Sales Recruiting, and Marcus Millichap, where she started her career. She possesses over 10 years experience in full cycle recruiting, human resources, operations, project management, marketing, and public relations. She has trained, mentored, and coached individuals, as well as entire recruiting teams. And she comes to us today with some amazing nuggets of information to share. Welcome, Allison. We are so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much, Christina. It's great to be here. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I would love it if for our listeners, you could just give us a background, you know, your history in CRE and where you are today. Sure.
1: Well, I appreciate the wonderful introduction. My sort of career snapshot, I joined commercial real estate uh, several years into my career. I've been a recruiter for 10 years and started at Marcus and Millichap on their national recruiting team. So started recruiting brokers, teams of brokers, identifying acquisition targets for the company, and gradually worked my way into other roles like running their national campus recruiting program, targeting some of the top universities across the country with great real estate programs. I was also responsible there for the growth of the Capital Corporation, essentially the debt and equity advisory practice of the firm, and moved over to Collier's and did sort of a similar role, always worked nationally throughout my entire time in commercial real estate. So not just large markets like LA and New York, but also smaller markets, uh, Minneapolis, Indianapolis, South Florida, so on and so forth. And decided in September of 2019 to launch CRE Recruiting. I love the brokerage world, I'm so grateful for growing up on that side of the business, but decided that I wanted to branch out and learn and try new things and work with companies really across the spectrum from, you know, sort of principal investor owner developers, dairy tech and prop tech. And, you know, also across sort of the, the mortgage commercial mortgage arena that I'd had experience in prior. So I've been doing that uh, since September of 2019 and just really loving it. That is awesome. And when did you decide to branch out to CRE at work? Great question. So, obviously, uh, the pandemic and COVID was an interesting sort of inflection point in my business. And I really realized that with CRE recruiting, I was touching people and companies at two different points in time. One, if they were looking for a new opportunity, or two, if they were looking to grow their team. And I think that there's just really a big opportunity for commercial real estate professionals to be much more thoughtful and strategic as they plan their careers. So, wanted to um, insights and things that I had gained throughout the course of my career in working with candidates and helping people with topics like negotiating, um, you know, how to really have a strong performance review and get sort of compensation increases aligned with your value in the marketplace. And really thinking about, you know, sort of road mapping, um, you know, your career as opposed to, you know, sort of going through things and just climbing ladders without being, you know, very aware of of the decision decisions that you were making and the impacts they could have on your career.
0: Totally. That makes so much sense. So not only do you work within the recruiting space, but also you have this platform with coaching and career growth in both aspects. I feel like you probably hear, you know, from different ends of the spectrum, but what is the most common either desire that you hear from recruiters that are asking you to help find people or what is, you know, from people that are trying to grow their career, what do
1: you hear is the most common, I don't know, area of growth that they want to get? Sure. So I would say, on the company um, aspect of things, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of smaller companies that hit a plateau in their businesses, can't get to the next level. Oftentimes, that has to do with systems, processes, tools, um, automation, things that they need to implement, whether from a hiring perspective or um, just to, sort of optimization of their current platform and resources. So I like to go through and and have, you know, really in-depth facts sessions with my clients to understand what are their business processes today, you know, where maybe some bottlenecks and opportunities to, you know, sort of reinvent, um, you know, their their systems and, and make sure that they're really spending as much time as they possibly can in what I call uh, RGAs or revenue generating activities. How can we get 80% of their time in that space and maybe 20% on the more administrative burdens of their business? On the candidate side, you know there are, there are a couple themes that I hear over and over. I think there are a lot of folks who think that moving on to the principal side of the business is the holy grail. And I think when you get down to it, um, oftentimes as I'm in question candidates, you know, tell me more about that. What does the principal side of the business mean to you? What are you really looking for? Sometimes it's they're looking for stability. Other times they're looking for more flexibility. Maybe they're looking to have a piece of the deal. I think if we can drill down to the heart of actually what they're hoping to find as opposed to maybe, you know, what they've heard about the principal side, um, we can have some more effective conversations conversations and open up maybe a wider net and range of possibilities for them. Um, Besides, you know, just only looking at the principal side, maybe there are some other career paths and other sectors of the industry that are going to offer similar things and really drilling down to what is at the heart. Their desire to make a move. So I think the principal side, you know, is something that's always really attractive to people. I think oftentimes too, you know, maybe making the move from an associate into maybe an assistant vice president or a vice president role. How do you really make yourself um, indispensable to a company and how do you really position yourself for promotion? Um, And so, you know, there are a lot of different strategies that we can talk about there. But really, first, I think it involves being really aware of your contribution and documenting your contribution and becoming a better and stronger and more vocal advocate for yourself um, within your existing company. And I think, you know, oftentimes, you know, as as women in commercial real estate, that's that's maybe something that we're not trained as well to do for ourselves is really to you know speak about our comments and really, you know, sort of um, advocate for ourselves at at maybe a deal making conversation um, when it comes to, you know, Know sort of the performance management and review process, so I think you know role playing with candidates through those different scenarios, um, having them actually go through the practice of documenting what are their contributions you know to the firm this particular year, and then evaluating themselves against their peers really objectively. Like, what have you done that this person hasn't done, or the vice versa of that? And is is your sort of skill set at the associate level really you know built to make it to that next level. And if there's a gap between those two, what can we do to assess the gap and get you up to that level where it's just a no brainer? It's a really easy decision for them. So I think those are the two things on the company side. It's more infrastructure, sort of strategy, evaluating operations, maybe automation, spending time on revenue generating activities, and on the candidate side, it's much more um, about the individual. What are their desires? What are they looking to achieve? And how can we put together a really comprehensive plan and strategy to get them to the next level? Lots of questions swirling
0: in my mind <laughs> on both sides. So let me let's talk about maybe the the company side first. So. Sure. From a recruiting perspective, especially now with COVID, I feel like that's a little bit on everybody's mind. Things have changed so much, but you know, what, parts of that have changed drastically and what things are really just the same, but, you know, look
1: different? Sure. So good question. I think, you know, what what has stayed the same is the importance of building really quality relationships with people and really um, individual connections and, and sort of all of that is just done through different methods and channels today. So one of the things that I tell all of my clients and candidates who are interviewing is, you know, spend some time just as you would. But when you're walking into the interview room, getting to know the person, chatting with them about, you know, we're just coming out of the Thanksgiving holiday. How did you celebrate the holiday? What's your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Little things like that might sound silly, but I think those those little steps help to humanize you as a person and it helps to build sort of common ground and connection. And that's what relationships are all about. And truly, I like to think of interviews At the heart of it, we're just building friendships and building connections. And, you know, in an interview, if it's not the right fit for this particular position, you want to build sort of that connection for a future conversation, a future introduction our industry is so small. I like to say, you know, it's probably the size of a high school and each individual market is this, you know, the size of a classroom in a high school. (laughs) So really, truly as I'm going into these sort of conversations, I'm just, I'm making friends and how do you make friends? You, you ask thoughtful questions, you listen to what they say, you reference the things that they've shared with you and follow up conversations and you, you know, do things like remember their favorite sports teams or their kids names or um Um, you know, their favorite restaurants or things like that. I think, you know, the, the heart of relationships are still the same. I think as much as you can be authentic and communicate, you know, the and be thoughtful about your communication. And and I think a lot of that has to do with reflecting to getting into an interview setting or a networking setting and determining, you know, what what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve with this conversation? Think deeply about the things that are important to you and that you value. So if you're looking for, you know, the next opportunity, what are the things that are really important to you about a company? And a lot of the themes that I see right now, one, stability, because we're in an unstable environment. I think that that's something that people place a higher value on these days. You know, maybe it's things like flexibility, you know, the ability to maintain some level of, you know, maybe remote working in the future. That's something that I'm hearing from a lot of candidates. And then maybe some of the more macro sort of um, issues in, in our business, like sustainability, things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, knowing ahead of time what your values are in those areas and what you're really hoping to find helps you to quickly understand is this a company or is this an individual that sort of aligns with those values so I don't think the heart of of interviewing and networking has really changed. I think the media um, and the channel has changed. And so I think we've just got to be maybe a little bit more vulnerable. We've got to, you know, maybe show up a little bit more and put ourselves out there a little bit more. Um, But I think that, you know, growth doesn't come from your comfort zone. So I do think putting yourself out there and, um, you know, just Putting your best face forward and networking events and things like that is just going to help you to build relationships that will survive this time and turn into, you know, uh, in-person conversations and relationships in the future, which is ultimately the goal.
0: That's true. You know, when we were on a previous call, you and I were talking about a a a phrase that you coined that you said, be a scientist. And I want to dig into that with a little bit of what you said. You know, what I find so interesting about what you were just describing is it's almost like because of, I don't know, technology or modernism or whatever, you know, there's almost more at your finger. And it sometimes, and maybe a more dated way of thinking of it is, you know, you can just blanket and send your resumes out to everyone. And like, there's so much more opportunity, but it's almost the reverse and not that yes. there's less opportunity, but there's more work you have to put into it. Like you don't just, you know, make a resume and and mail them out to a bunch of people. Like you have to be really almost surgical with, yes. you know, the right fit. And there's all this conversation about fit. And, you know, I feel like I found a great fit at Cobalt Banker Commercial, especially working yes. um, with Dan Spiegel. So for me, it is so much about fit. But can you talk about what that means? Like being a scientist and this concept of finding the right fit. Sure. So
1: I, I don't know where I came up with this phrase, but I just love it because I think to me, it means using data and observations and collecting as much possible information as you can from all these different sources that are available to you to help you to form your opinion, to make decisions and get just a more comprehensive understanding. And so, you know, for me, in the old days of going into uh, a company and sitting down for an interview, I would coach my candidates to pay attention to how they're greeted when they walk into the office, to look at the interactions that are happening um, just in happenstance when people pass each other in the hallway. Are people smiling? Are they talking to each other? What's the atmosphere? Be really observant. Is it, You know, a, a warm, inviting space. Is it, you know, a positive energy? Um, are people looking at the floor? For? Are they making eye contact with each other? All those little things I think are tiny little clues in terms of what is the cultural environment at this company? Is it something that aligns with what I'm looking for and aligns with my personality? Or am I going to feel like a, a little bit out of place in this in this environment? Today we have a, a variety of different tools that that existed in the old world, things like Glassdoor and you know, looking at people's LinkedIn profiles and um, Um, You know, maybe looking on social media accounts of of different people within a company. So I really just I want people to be as observant as they possibly can up front before they get to a point of potentially even entertaining an offer. I think that we can probably ascertain maybe about 80% of what it might be like to work with an individual as a boss or a company or within a particular team within an, a larger organization. And that sort of 20% unknown, we just don't figure out necessarily until we get there and we start to experience it for ourselves. But as much as you can, you know, get really in depth information from all different various sources and evaluate that, I think that makes you a better, someone who's better at asking questions in the interview process, maybe to cover some of the ground or to, you know, prove or disprove the information that you're finding online. So definitely be be a scientist, um, be really observant, ask great questions, collect data, and to A scientist would never use one data point, I think, to completely um, rule out or rule in a situation, unless it was a very extreme circumstance, like a really sort of negative experience that was your own personal experience. So I just encourage you, you know, to um, take a look at when you are looking at Glassdoor, if you look and you see that company reviews are all happening within a a certain time frame or they're saying consistent things, there might have been some sort of internal contest um, or internal sort of um, um, incentive to give positive glass door reviews to the company. So, um, be a savvy consumer. The same way you know you might pick a restaurant and go to Yelp or you know some of the other guides that are out there. Just use all your tools and resources, you know, and um, fact check essentially as much as you possibly can.
0: Those are some great tips. And conversely, on the other side, as a company, check. you should really be thoughtful and intentional with what you put out there online. Yeah, you know. As far as, you know, representing your brand and your company so that you can yes. attract the right kind of candidate. So t- tell us a little bit about that. How would you, you know, talk to a company
1: that really maybe missed the mark there? Like, what should they do to to figure that out? Sure. So I think a great way to start this process, and and this is something I've done for some of my clients, is to really talk to your existing team about you know what's working. Why why do they enjoy their job? Why do they enjoy the company? What sorts of things have them you know staying year after year? And what are the reasons that they feel strongly about working for this company? You'll start to see then some themes emerge. Um, you know maybe it's flexibility. Maybe it's you know a career trajectory. and and promotional sort of opportunities within the company. Once you figure out sort of what your individual secret sauce is as a company, it becomes much easier to share stories about it that are on brand and sort of resonate and and are going to be reinforced throughout your interview process. Um, I think too, you know, companies sometimes hire, you know, marketing folks to come up with, you know, maybe some buzzwords or some values or things like that. And I think You will attract people that way, but much, I, I think what's happening is candidates are much more focused on the story of people who actually work for you in the past. So if you can, you know, have people who are really strong advocates within your company, um, you know, share on a daily basis, their wins, what it's like to, you know, go to work, what the COVID sort of transit transition plan has been um, and things that are going to resonate with the candidates that you're looking for. I think you're going to be much better set up for success than if you hire an external marketing firm to come up with five values that are aspirational, but not really who you are as a company. So do that fact-finding internally.
0: That's a really good point. I have to say, when I have to interview folks, I almost get offended when people don't look me up on LinkedIn.
1: I think, I mean obviously be prepared. And one of the, one of the things that I like to tell a candidate is that you're doing this so you can have a more sophisticated and higher level conversation that you don't have to spend the time getting to know that person's career path because you've already investigated it. So then you have a couple, maybe very specific questions that demonstrate to the person uh, who's interviewing you that you're really engaged and excited and really invested a lot of time and effort in understanding who this person is person is. That is going to take you so much further in a first interview um, as opposed to having to rehash the, the things that you could have learned up front. So definitely do your research. It's, it's just like being a scientist. You're, you've got to use all the data points that you're provided and you've got to demonstrate that knowledge and, and that, that effort. I think that's, that's what the best candidates and the most successful candidates, um, you know, are, are out there doing today. So that's like the nuanced stuff. Yes. If somebody doesn't
0: look me up on LinkedIn, I'm I'm already annoyed. But yes. <laughs> um, you know, on the other side, if I don't get a thank you note for a meeting, I'm also okay. a little put off too. So I feel like it's got to be this really sophisticated mix of old school and new school methodology that just yeah. is the right thing to do.
1: Yes. And I think everybody is different. I think um you know, today I'm I'm thinking about thank you notes and nobody's really in the office to receive them. But but mm-hmm. what can you do? You send a thank you email. And if you are sending a thank you email, please don't copy and paste a template online. Please don't make it, you know, one or two sentences. I like to encourage candidates to reflect back on what they enjoyed the most or what was the most surprising about the conversation. Again, reinforcing, I was listening. I see you. I hear you. Your story is, you know, valuable and important to me. And then also reaffirm your interest in the position and, and you know, reference reference any sort of next steps and, you know, make yourself available for any questions after the fact. I I agree completely. I think that not following up is, um, you know, sometimes a a nail in a coffin, especially if the role has to do with marketing or sales, you're essentially in a marketing and sales process when you're going through an interview, the process is yourself. And so if you're not actively, you know, sort of following up and, and putting yourself out there, I think you're really missing an opportunity. I had to write that down because I feel like that's another one of your nuggets. It's like, be a
0: scientist is top for me. And then the next one, the product is yourself. I love that. That is so true. Thinking of yourself as the commodity, what do you think people, you know, what's some advice that you feel you, you share often with folks about not necessarily looking outside, but really trying to grow themselves in their current role? You know, how do you, how do you figure out what that gap is? How do you, you know, how do you even begin that process?
1: Well, I think one... You have to do a lot of reflection um, before you 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 jump in and make a huge commitment. So going back to the example that I gave of people wanting to transition onto the principal side, I, I hear that from candidates and they've already started applying and they've actually never maybe even talked to someone who worked in that role. And so I think, you know, one of the things that you can start by doing is utilizing maybe an alumni network that you have if you're a part of a, a larger alumni group that has, you know, a significant number of contacts in the real estate market, Um, talk to people who have something in common with you who might, you know, be more incentivized to help you and and answer your questions. And, you know, in the past, I would say buy them a cup of coffee, buy them lunch, offer, you know, your assistance and, you know, helping them, you know, maybe with a, a pet project or, you know, volunteering for a cause that's important to them or they're on the board of do whatever you can to ingratiate yourself to this person and just get a better understanding of what do they love about what they do, what is a challenge about what they do. And, and what would they change about sort of their current situation or their their business? It's not you're not doing these for the purpose of getting a job at the company, but for getting more of an understanding of what the experience is actually like um, to work in those types of roles. So, again, you're collecting data because you're being a scientist and you're looking at a variety of different sources. So if, if I want to be on the principal side, maybe I'm talking to people at boutique firms and then mid midsize companies and then maybe some institutions. Institutional companies, because the experience is going to be dramatically different depending on the size of the team, maybe the source of capital, maybe even the asset class that they focus on. So I think that there's a lot of information that's out there there's a lot of people who are in these roles that, you know, let's say you don't have a strong alumni network. Let's say you're trying to transition from another side of the business and you don't really have key contacts built up that that you feel comfortable asking, you know, asking for time or asking questions. Um, Follow those people on LinkedIn. A lot of these people are putting out content on a daily basis relating to what they do, how they work, their companies, et cetera. Um, You know, do, do all of those things. Things that you can up front just to get a more sort of solid foundation and understanding um, of, of what these roles actually entail. And then from there, I think job descriptions are the biggest clue in terms of where are you at today. Use that job description as a checklist. So here's your resume, here's the checklist. You know, if you miss a couple check checkboxes, those are the first things that you want to tackle and maybe prioritize them. Maybe it doesn't make sense right now from a financial standpoint to head back into, you know, a, a or, you know, um, MBA program, but what could you do that's like that? You know, if, if the role requires really strong Argus modeling skills, um, which is something that is very often the case on the principal side of the business, how can you gain that experience? Not just from a certification program, which anybody can do, but from a hands-on sort of, you know, in the weeds deal setting. So one fact finding, get to know sort of the people, ask the questions, follow thought leaders online who are in roles and companies that you are interested in and admire and respect, and then assess what is the gap between where you're at today and the step that you want to take, and then take take action as soon as you possibly can and, and build a plan that works for you. And I, I also want to point out, oftentimes... I think people use education as procrastination or permission. Um, there's a lot of people out there who think, "Oh, once I get this MBA, or once I get my master's in real estate development, I'll be the perfect candidate." I think there are things that you can do on a daily basis that will get you closer to that goal and will be much, much less expensive. And I think you want to, you know, determine um, what those options are first before you, you know, attends or hundreds of thousands of dollars on a degree. It's the next certification. It's the next
0: degree. It's that, you know, and sometimes that not only is a procrastination, but it also fulfills some people and and actually they tend to be women that I'm thinking of right now. Um, It almost fulfills a box when you feel like you don't check all the boxes and that at least that is like a solid piece of paper that says, look, I did it, you know, as opposed to the experience you can gain. And I think that that's so important is to think about, to think about growth, not only in a formal education, and that might be very appropriate for some, um, but also in informal education and really just donating your time almost to look to learning that, right?
1: Yep. And I I think sometimes, too, people people forget that there is a whole world out there um, that requires freelance help and support. And so there are people who would potentially pay you for your expertise as you learn and grow. Um, And, you know, you might uh, get to experience other sides of the business if you, you know, find someone that you can do 10 or 15 hours a week for on top of your existing job. If it's not a conflict, why not do that while you get some hands on experience? And again back to some of the skill sets, Argus, it's great to have the theoretical knowledge. It's great to go through the certification program, but I've never had a client who said that's enough. We, we don't need someone who has hands-on experience. They always want someone who has that hands-on experience who can say, here's a couple runs that I did here, are the assumptions that I, that I put into the program, et cetera. Um, it's, it's not necessarily enough usually to get the certification. It's that hands-on experience and sometimes you can get paid for it. And why not? not.
0: That's a great point. That's a really great point. One of the things I was thinking about also in our conversation now has is about the idea of first impressions. So, you know, I, I know how to be a point. We know how to be a good scientist before we walk in. But how do you assess, you know, as far as you as a person as is giving a first impression or even, you know, maybe not, a first, but just your impression. How do you make a good impression online when we're not meeting face to face necessarily? What are some of the pitfalls? What
1: should we try to do more of? So one of the things that might sound counterintuitive is that this this idea that you don't have to be perfect. I think people appreciate vulnerability and we're in a time where people's humanity, I think, is on full display. And so I think it's the time to really embrace who you are and to be really open about your experiences and to share, you know, within reason, what you're going through, you know, the things that are helping you. And, and one of the things that I think to myself, um, very often, because sometimes, um, my, my business is very much focused on, um, providing resources and support and, and sharing my own story. And, and I do that a lot on social media. And so sometimes, When you're feeling like, wow, this is really a challenging year or a challenging time and, you know, more bad news keeps, you know, coming out, you know, we're we're dealing with a, a huge spike in cases right now, you know, who really wants to hear from me? I always say to myself, if I can help one person with this post, if I can help one person just by sharing my story or giving advice or sharing what worked for a candidate of mine or a client of mine, it's no longer about me. It's about helping that one person. So how can I go out there and help one person today? And what's what's a message that I needed to hear sometimes um, is where my content comes from. You know, maybe it's. And actually, this is a funny like little personal nugget um, that I'm about to do a small video on is um, my nephew is about to turn three in April and he's at this really cute age where he's just learning new things every day. And one of the things over Thanksgiving that I found so endearing is now he's starting to ask, um, auntie, are you happy? He's just so invested in in other people being happy. And if I say to him, Sam, I'm so happy. A minute later or two minutes later, he'll look at me, you know, with a, with an expectant face and ask me again. And so one of the things that I think is, is I learned about that is if I actually said and slowed down and said, Sam, I am so happy auntie loves playing blocks and making robots with you and being very specific of what am I actually happy about? What am I actually grateful for in this moment? One. It just filled me with so much happiness and thankfulness and, and really like sitting down and thinking about, I'm not just happy, but what is the thing that's making me happy right now? I think that's a message that, that people would love to hear right now. And it's a cute little story and it shares, you know, some dimensionality in my personality. I'm an, I'm an auntie and and here's a story from my life. And again, like, could it help one person? Probably like a gratitude practice, I think is a great thing. And I have a formal one, but that's like a very informal, like little story that shows who I am as a person. It puts myself a little bit out there. The other friends that I have who are aunties or have kids, I think would appreciate that sort of story. So I think as much as we can sort of let this idea that there is a lot of separation between who we are at work and who we are in our personal lives, like COVID has sort of blown Blown that to bits. Oh my gosh! And I love so (laughs) much. Yeah, (laughs) I think that that's one of the silver linings. Actually, is that we can be authentically who we are at work, and when we do that, we're so much more successful. People like us more. We find you know our tribe and the people that we connect with that much more easily because we've shown a little bit more of ourselves. We've put ourselves out there. We've engaged. You know, some of it is vulnerability. Some of it is is connection. Again, back to sort of building relationships. I think you can do all those things online. Um, I think use your best judgment. You know, obviously there's, there's, you know, TMI and oversharing that occurs on social media too. So you just want to reflect to yourself, is this something that I feel comfortable putting out there? And, and two, is it, is it going to help one person? Is it kind? Is it true? You know, all those sorts of questions I think are great to ask yourself before hitting send, but I think that's how you show people who you are. You, you share stories, you share, you know, wisdom books, the things that are valuable to you, the things that are helping you during this time. Um, and again, just try to help one person and don't make it about yourself. And that I think is the best way to, to, to build a, a strong first impression. <laughs> I love that. I also, you know, for me,
0: it was said you touched on it a little bit with us. Um, but once COVID happened and it was permanent work from home and, you know, yeah. in my state, everything shut down. I don't I don't think it was nationally, but my kids were home and my husband was home and it just everybody <laughs> was home. And yeah. I have worked my entire career, really, of separating my professional yes. self from my personal self. And that really blew the lid on all of it. And it did <laughs> help me, you know, in the beginning. I struggled quite a bit. You know, I would get super embarrassed if like a kid came in to my zoom call and I still don't love when that happens. So I (laughs) haven't like, I'm loosey goosey. That's not who I am but it helped me kind of prioritize my time, even at sometimes the minute level. So if I needed to take a break to go tend to something, one of my children needed, I can be fully present at that moment and not multitask, like the multitasking thing with personal and professional to me was like for the birds, like that just did not work. So I really had to compartmentalize and spend my time you know, wisely, but devoted to each thing. And it made me kind of better at managing my time somehow. It was stressful, but it, it, I grew enormously this year. Yes. No, I,
1: I totally agree with that. And I think, um, you know, this idea that we are whole people, um, and you know, the, the sides of us that are parents or sisters or husbands or wives or whatever, I, I don't think those, parts of us ever go away and the more we can sort of be integrated, but also like you were saying, um, I think multitasking sort of makes you a little bit bad at everything. Like I, I I don't think you can, um, achieve the level of engagement or success that you're looking for. If you're distracted by five or six different things, it's like one of my problems is, uh, having like 30 windows open on my browser (laughs) <laughs> and how effective can I be when I have thirty windows open because I'm I'm darting from here to here and you know the transitions are what kill you. So if you can find a way to build your life um, and put the blocks of time, like for me, I realized I'm not great on an eight a.m. call, but I really love to do my research. I really love to do my reading and catch up on the news of our industry and you know follow up with candidates and you know if you can sort of time block based on what's most effective for you and what's best for your family. I think it's a much better way to end the day with a sense of accomplishment and not feel so, um, I, I don't know what the word is, but, uh, overwhelmed maybe.
0: Yeah. That's a great, especially this year. That's a great one yeah. that I think so many people can <laughs> as a career coach, when would you say is the right moment that someone should investigate maybe having a coach? When is the point where you're like, you know what,
1: I can't do this by myself, or I don't want to do this by myself. Sure. Great question. I think if you're, if you're struggling to wake up in the morning, if you're stressed out logging into your email, like these are all key indicators that something is off. And so I think that, you know, if, again, reflecting and, and being a scientist and, and sort of looking at all of the different data points that you have, um, I encourage people to sort of go through a process of radical self-inquiry. So ask themselves questions. What do I enjoy about what I'm doing? What do I find the most challenging about what I'm doing? And then look at what is the time that you're spending in the enjoyment column versus the challenge column? Um, And if those are out of whack you know, we might wanna talk about, well, are there other opportunities within the organization? Is the organization one that aligns with your values and your goals? Is this a place you wanna stay? Um, And if not, like, let's start to do some exploration. Let's start to do some fact finding about who you are as a person. What are your values? What are the things that you wanna achieve from a career standpoint? What are your personal goals? I like to think five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, with what do you want your life to look like? How do you want to spend your time? Where do you live? What kind of car do you drive? All of these like little questions. And I, I help people go through sort of a visualization process to actually see it and picture it. And then when we know what the end result is, we know what the goal is. We can sort of work backwards from there and say, is what I'm doing today and a week from now and a year from now in alignment with those future goals, or is it counterproductive? And, what can we do to, um, take forward progress and steps on a daily basis. So, you know, and you have confidence and you have excitement in the fact that you are every single day doing something that's going to take you further down the pathway. So I've personally grown more. I work with a coach. I would never, <laughs> I would never be a coach and, and not invest in those things because I believe so strongly in it. And I've, I've worked with a coach, I want to say since 2016. So for the last four years have invested myself heavily in coaching programs, working one-on-one with coaches, um, going on retreats and things like that. For me, the clarity that I've gained in terms of who I am as a person, how I want to show up, how I want my life to be, I mean, has taken me on a journey sort of through, um, some larger companies and out into an entrepreneurial venture myself. And I think, um, I'm just a very driven and motivated person. And I found myself climbing the ladder within organizations that I I hadn't necessarily critically thought about just because I was so focused on everyday achieving and getting to that next level and getting promoted that I didn't stop to look around and say, am I actually happy? Is this really what I want to do? You know, do do these sort of goals and these things that I'm working on, do they align with my beliefs and values? Um, And I think a lot of people fall into that trap. So I I definitely think if you feel anxiety, um, checking those emails, if you, you know, feel like something is off, um, I think there's a lot of reflection to do and, and truly just having a conversation with someone like me, I think can help people to understand like, what are maybe the gaps and, Everybody is different in terms of, you know, what they, how they want to work with a coach. So there are lots of different options, not just one-on-one. You could do group coaching, which is great. If you find people who are going through sort of similar situations as you are, um, and there are courses and things like that too.
0: That's really interesting. I love that. There's always like something in the back of my mind of, you know, am I, am I being my best version of myself, you know, at work, at home, all of it, you know, you just want to bring your A game everywhere. At least I do.
1: (laughs) think too, it's nice to have that layer of accountability yeah. outside of your boss, because there are certain things that I think you're just never going to feel comfortable vulnerably sharing with your boss. Um, and I think too, you know, working with a coach and, and thinking about my coach, I've worked with my coach specifically for the last about two years. And so she can identify different patterns, different sort of ways of thinking because she's known me long enough and we have that relationship. And so from a, an accountability standpoint, point. She's someone who keeps me honest, not, not to what she's looking for or what she wants me to do, but to, you know, what I've decided my goals are. And so she can help to point out, you know, the, the thinking or the pattern that, you know, is happening and repeating itself from maybe two years ago or earlier in my life, which I think is a tremendous sort of insight that sometimes I'm just too close to it to be able to see myself. That's such a good
0: point. The idea that the right fit for a coach too, is somebody that's really thinking about what's important to you, not necessarily just telling you like kind of like the buzzwords and the, whatever, you know, it's like, it's your (laughs) path. It's getting to know what you want to do. Um, I love that. That's so important. I would love for you to share maybe one to three things, depending on how many you have off the top of your head of what some of our listeners can do tomorrow. So besides liking
1: and subscribing, as soon as this conversation is done to the podcast, <laughs> yeah. what can they do right after that? Obviously, we we dropped a lot of things, I think earlier in the conversation, be a scientist, definitely be a scientist, I will say that over and over until the day that I die. But I think we're in a very interesting time of change and reflection. And I want to encourage anyone who has been through a transition, whether it's a layoff or a furlough, whether they've had their hours reduced or their role has fundamentally changed um, to go through a reflective process of, you know, what if I loved about this experience that I've just come out of? Um, What if I learned so what are the tools, maybe the, the techniques, the skills, what deals or projects have I worked on? Um, you know, so loved, learned. And the third is, what do I want to leave behind? You know, what about this experience did not work for me? And what can I do to find experiences in the future that are more aligned with my values, my goals, and things like that? Um I think oftentimes when we go through a dramatic change, we don't do that soon enough and so our brain naturally sort of starts to protect us maybe from some of the emotions and some of the experiences and we start to lose little little data points that I think can be really valuable for us in determining what is the next right fit and also in figuring out how to most effectively communicate about our most recent experience. So if you can go through that exercise of, you know, what I loved, what I learned and what I'm leaving behind, I think you can have a really nice sort of closure process. I think anytime you leave a job or a relationship or a friendship or what have you, I think it's sort of universally applicable. I think the other thing, too, is not just COVID is a time of change, but we're coming into the holiday season We're coming into, um, you know, sort of the new year and New Year's resolutions and things like that. One, I just want to encourage everyone from a self-care perspective to give themselves time to process everything that has happened this year. Even if you haven't been personally affected um, by COVID, I think that the anxiety that we have collectively felt and experienced and not just... COVID related, but obviously, you know, we just went through a really intense election cycle. Um, you know, there's a change of power coming up. There are a lot of, I think, undercurrents and and stress and holidays just generally, I think, are stressful for people. So whatever you can do to build in things that will help you to cope with the stress. And I want to share one one silly thing for me I've struggled with during COVID is um. Uh, just health and wellness. Generally, I, I, I did a good job at the beginning of COVID. I was really motivated and I was working out a lot and I was, I was eating healthy, healthy foods. And then I sort of the pendulum swung in the other direction. And so I'm now like going back and, and getting myself back on that, on that track. Um, and for me, uh, a tool called Noom has helped, which is just uh, activity and, and sort of diet tracking and things like that, but teaches you some of the psychology behind food. So that for me has been really helpful. Um, I know friends who've gotten really into sort of meditation and things like that, whatever you can do from a self-care perspective to invest in yourself during the holidays, during sort of what tends to be maybe a a slower time of the year, definitely do that. Um, and think about all the ways that you want 2021 to be different. And with the asterisks of what are the things that you can control? in 2021. Um, I think, you know, I would love for, I would love for the vaccines to be fully rolled out and fully effective and ready to go January 1. It's not necessarily looking like that, but what can I control and what are the things that I'm hoping to find in 2021? And, And two, it could be similar to the exercise I like suggested earlier. So what did you learn in 2021? Uh, what did you love? And what do you want to leave behind? I think, again, we're, we're just going through a time of, of transition. So as much as you can be, you know, insightful and reflective and, and ask yourself these questions, I think you can set yourself up for a um, more uh, maybe fulfilling and, and personally and, and both from a career standpoint, really exciting new year. I love that. I think those are some great things that we can work on. Okay.
0: So now my question is, how can people follow what you were putting out there in content? And if they wanted yeah. to see your fun videos and just really keep in touch with all the wonderful things you're working on, how do they follow you?
1: great question so probably my biggest platform is linkedin um so if you want to follow me on linkedin i'm allison s weiss uh, w-e-i-s-s my companies are cre recruiting and cre at work both of which you can follow on linkedin um i have a instagram channel cre underscore at work that i put some videos out on quite frequently and i am actually working on a podcast myself so i will have to get you on the podcast yeah it's it It was one of my 2020 goals. That a little bit in terms of its timing, but yeah, feel free to message me on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. I love to hear, um, you know, what people found most valuable, and happy to be a resource and help anyone, um, candidate or client, transition um, into a a successful 2021. Thank you so very much. Just to recap,
0: some of my biggest takeaways, as everyone heard multiple times today, is my number one fave (laughs) is be a scientist. I feel like I live that. So 100% be a scientist. I love that. My other favorite was treat yourself like a product. So in in regards to when you're interviewing or just thinking of yourself in that way might kind of change the way you pull yourself out of yourself so that you can be a little bit more surgical. So I love that as well. And then we have some really great things that we can work on. I am personally going to write a loved, learned and leave behind list for my 2020 because there are certainly some things I really loved from this year. And there are a few things I'd like to leave behind and I know that there are a lot of learnings. So I really appreciate the time you spent with us today. I hope our listeners get as much out of this conversation as I did. And I look forward to talking with you again at some point. This was wonderful. Yes, my
1: pleasure. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you so much.